Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to another episode of the Revolutionary Podcast. If you've been hearing me for a minute, you know that I always say, especially when it comes to being the kind of revolutionary that God wants us to be, it means revolving our lives around Christ, his truth at the center of who we are. Because when we are anchored in that way, okay, we are grounded on a firm foundation, especially when difficulties happen. And so we're doing our story of the book of Acts, and man, Paul is going through some crazy stuff, but look at what keeps him anchored. If you have missed a couple weeks, let me just give you one big bottom line because I know it's been a little nuts and I'm gonna, um, my goal is to be actually very efficient today. But um, there was a bottom line that we've been saying in that God's spoken word still speaks. All right. If there was one thing out of the, all of the hours of sermons over the last couple weeks that you could remember, it's that God's spoken word still speaks. All right, it still speaks. And this is so important for us to get to. So um, the reason why, guys, we talk about um, that we're looking at that and in hearing is because that's how we find hope. It's in the hope that we have in God. It's his words that give us hope. It's who he is that give us hope. And so this is why it's very, very important for us to be able to do that because let's just be honest, all right? It's hard to be joyful if you're not hopeful, right, of anything. It's hard to be joyful if you're not hopeful. And the, how do we get that hope? Well, the more we hear God through his word and through his Holy Spirit revelation, that's important. Because again, like anything else, if you're, if you're uh, you know, watching sports and your team is not doing well and you are not hopeful that your team's going to win, it's hard to be joyful, yes or no? Same thing, right? If you're cooking food and it doesn't look like it's going to turn out the way that you were hoping it's going to turn out, it's hard to be joyful, right? In any circumstance in your life, it's hard, let's say even your career path, where you are with your life, it's hard to be joyful about your life if you are not hopeful about where it's going in the direction. Does that make sense? It's all the same stuff. And so it's very, very important for us to be able to not just be hopeful, but to get the real thing. Because the world offers us a kind of false hope that feels good, looks good. It promises, it literally promises to give us everything that God and his word says it will do. But it always lets us down. It's, it's literally like the, the, the cheap knockoff things that you see, right? You know, like the, there's quality stuff and then there's some knockoff stuff that you know they're just going to rip you off. Like that's the same thing. And, and it's hard to get that hope if we can't hear him. And all of this false hope that the world offers, guys, it's a letdown. You've, you've experienced this more than enough. You've experienced this. The hope that the world gives us that we put our trust in. Oh, this is going to be fun. This is the way to go. All right, God, let me try this over here, and it just doesn't work. It's, it's like a bad joke, right? We've all heard bad jokes that seem promising, right? They seem promising, and then, huh, you know, oh my gosh, literally, you just wasted the last 30 seconds of my life just, you know, trying to just hear that, you know? For example, like the one, have you heard about the, have you heard about the story of the man who was kidnapped by mimes? They did unspeakable things to him. Or, or did you ever know, you know what pirates call, you know what, pyra, the, what pirates call Noah's boat? Dark. <laughs> now, see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying, right? A falsehood, when you feel like someone's going to give you a joke, and then it's a, uh, I don't know, it's a big letdown. That, tell me that is not what the world offers you, right? And it's like, oh, this is going to be good. And it's, oh, that's not what I thought it was going to be right? That's exactly it. And so the, the, the bad joke that the world offers us, that the devil, demons, darkness offers us, is always rooted in the same thing. It's always rooted in self-focus, self-hope, self-actualization, self-fulfillment, right? It's always that. It's always that. Follow your heart. Find yourself. Be true to you, right? Let, you know, you do you, right? All of those things, it's all about who? 
And that's a big letdown. It feels right, right? It almost, we, we get excited to hear those things because it's like, yes, okay, let's go. And then when you do it, why am I still in this rut? Why am I still, why am I depressed? Why is this not working? Same thing, guys. But, and, and the, the reality, guys, about false hope and real hope. See, here's the thing. The world always offers you a hope. And this is almost where you can tell the difference. The world's version of hope puts it in a way to say, come and get it and for yourself. It's almost like, hey, try this fruit. Doesn't that sound familiar? Grab it, try it, you do it. Versus trusting God. It's the same thing where the, the world's version of hope is always put it on you like you achieve it, you do it. But the hope that God gives us cannot be achieved, it can only be received. It can only be received. We can't achieve it, we can't get it, we can't level up for it, it can only be received. And, and how do we receive this kind of hope? the more we are hearing that spoken word and it still speaks. And so we're going to look at today how Paul had this hope. And we're seeing this again and another example of it that Paul's hope that he had in Christ is the same kind of hope, guys, that you and I can have that helps us to live joyfully and faithfully for the Lord. And it's a big one. So we're going to look at Acts uh, chapter 22. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm only going to highlight a couple of sections. So you guys, I'm going to encourage you to read the rest of chapter 22 and 23 at home to kind of see some details because it's really interesting. But just to kind of set it up where, you know, if you guys missed a week or so, um, if you guys missed a week or so, the thing is uh, we've left Paul arrested. Okay, so Paul has been trying to, um, this is at the end of his third missionary journey. It's been years that he's been serving the Lord. At this point, any, you know, people put it anywhere from like 15 years, 20 years that he's been in this. It's about, some would say maybe 25 years since the resurrection, give or take, or something like that. And so Paul has been doing, God has been using Paul in amazing ways all throughout the world. And as he finished his third missionary journey. He's about to round third base and he's heading home. And that is now the big focus of the rest of the book of Acts. It's Paul's journey through Jerusalem to Rome. While he's at Jerusalem, we talked about this last week. Some people lied about him. They spread rumors. They got arrested. They were beating him and they almost killed him up until a Roman official stopped the whole thing. And so I'm just fast forwarding some sections that we're not going to read today. So the Roman commander, the Romans don't like uh, upri- you know, uprisings. They squash it. They like peace. That's like some of us, right? It was like, you know, we want peace in our house, right? And so you bring the hammer down if that's what it means to bring peace. And so that's what the Romans do. They always bring the hammer down. Like, hey, you know, chill out. And so, but the commander wants to know what's going on. Paul, what is it about you? Are you some kind of revolutionary? Are you like this Egyptian revolutionary that we heard about? Who are you? So he goes and he organizes a, an informal meeting, an informal meeting of the Sanhedrin, which think about modern day Congress or imagine just, you know, the Supreme Court, but it's an, it's an, you know, everyone's showing up in their pajamas. And so, you know, so-and-so was just out, outdoor grilling. He still has his thing on. And so it, it's just forced together, you know, maybe not everybody's there. And the commander wants to get down to the point of, all right, guys, who is this? And why are you all upset? What's going on? And so we're going to read at verse 23, verse 1. So Paul now stands in front of the Sanhedrin. And let's read the first um, Chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. So Paul looks straight at the Sanhedrin, and he said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day. The high priest Ananias ordered those who were standing next to him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You are sitting there judging me according to the laws and yet in violation of the law are ordering me to be struck. Those standing nearby said, do you dare revile God's high priest? Oh, I I didn't know. I didn't know, brothers, that, that he was the high priest, replied. For it is written, you must not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So, it's an interesting little story, super quick. And 
Paul, he gives a true confession. And that true confession was followed by a violent assault, all right? And so really quick, there's, I'm just leading you to this. And so here pretty much, why is Paul here? They spread rumors. These Jewish guys, some Jewish guys spread rumors that Paul was going around the world, not just telling people to believe in Jesus, but to rebel against Moses, like to trash the Jewish culture, to trash the, the, trash the, the Old Testament, which was their Jewish Bible. And so he's saying all of these things, and it was a liar. And so he goes up and says, guys, I have lived my life in good conscience. You can see why Ananias was so upset, because the things that they're claiming that he's doing are a big deal for them in their culture. Huge deal. And so he was pretty much saying, guys, before God, I have done nothing. I have done nothing wrong in God's eyes. I have done nothing, nothing wrong. I have good conscience. And so... Boom, right? They go, now that word, that, that word uh, struck is the same word that was given when, uh, when Jesus was struck. And this, is a, this wasn't just some little just, you know, slap on the mouth. It wasn't one of those. This was somebody loaded up and unleashed. All right? Probably, you know, this was a chitlin rack, uh, rattler. That was one of those. I mean, this was a hit. This was a hit. All right? But... Interesting how Paul responds versus the way Jesus did. Jesus responded, and um, Jesus responded in a way that Paul didn't. Jesus didn't say anything, but Paul was completely different. And so we're going to look at some of this right now. And so what happened was, guys, uh, we got to look at Paul's even situation because Paul's situation was interesting, right? What was Paul saying? I mean, some of you guys, can you justify his actions right now? Um, did we just look at this guy, like, look at his emotional reaction, calling this guy a what? A whitewashed wall, and what does that mean? Jesus used the same term. You know, he, Jesus called the same Pharisees whitewashed tombs, which just meant this, guys. Look, a, a tomb, you guys know what tombs are, right? They're, they're depressing things. But when you paint them and you make them look nice on the outside, they looked beautiful on the outside, but inside they're rotting. A whitewashed wall is the same thing. When you have a wall like any of these, that it's rotting, being eaten away by termites, and, oh, I know what the solution is. Put a fresh coat of paint on it, right? And so the idea is, guys, listen, you and I, we all have a sin issue that rots us away from the inside, and we just can't paint over it with good actions and good phrases. We can't paint over it with, with external goodness, all right? It's like the same, it's like trying to uh, Treat cancer with a Band-Aid. doesn't work. You need something internal because that's where the situation is. And so that's what that means now. I mean, uh, now, are, are you allowed to be able to yell at somebody in the same way, name-calling? Guys, well, let's just calm down on that one. you got to be super careful um, because uh, not so much so. See, Paul, Paul wasn't wrong in what he said. But do you, rec you recognize that Paul felt, ooh, wait, that's the high priest? I didn't know that. Some people think it's sarcastic, like he was being sarcastic because the high priest committing a crime in the name of, and the reason why, because Paul committed a crime. You see the irony there? Like, you know, Paul wasn't wrong. I'm like saying, wait a minute, I'm here because I broke the law, but you're breaking the law and punishing me for me breaking the law? That doesn't make sense. And so there was a little bit of, some people think there's a little bit of sarcasm, like saying, oh, oh. Oh, brothers, I didn't know. I didn't know there's a high priest who, uh, who you know, that could, that, that's, that could do those things. And no, he wasn't being sarcastic as much. I really do think personally, and a lot of people think that he was being sincere. Like, oof, you know what? Because there was a law. He said, it is written. You can't, uh, you can't talk ill. What was the phrase he said? It says, you cannot speak, uh, speak evil of a ruler of your people. I think it was more in the tone, all right? Because in the same way, guys, listen, I'm just telling you because there's a verse like this that people use all the time. Hey, don't talk about your pastor. Don't talk about your leaders. Don't talk about this. That's the man of God. You can't say one thing against him. That's not what this is saying. Guys, you have my permission to call me out. You should if I was wrong, all right? You should. If I was wrong in anything, you should. Because if I'm wrong according to God, then, hey, there's ramifications to that. Now, what he's pretty much saying is in the same way that when we speak of even the president. You may not like the president, whatever, any president. You may not like the previous one, the present one, or the future one. But there is a sense of respect to the office that you must have, even if you need to correct a person in power. Does that make sense? And so that's kind of where Paul is saying, like saying, listen, first off, Paul wasn't wrong. 
Because Ananias was a whitewashed wall. He was one that thought, my relationship with God is determined by my achievements and my status. So Paul wasn't wrong in what he said, but maybe in the ways of how he said it. But even the irony there, right? Who's getting yelled at? Paul. Who broke the law? Ananias. And so they just like saying, bro, you're upset at me for doing, oh, you know, you spoke ill about the, about the man. I was like, you're talking about me. Can we not talk about what he just did? So again, guys, you're never going to get yourself in a situation where it's going to be perfect. And so Paul sees this. And so it is a tense little moment here. And so then Paul now shifts focus because he realizes, you know, he doesn't want to lose sight of what's, what matters. And look at what Paul does. This is why I want to bring this up because, again, the hope that we have helps us to focus. The hope that God has helps us to focus. He goes and he's giving a testimony. And then, uh-oh, it derails. Now the focus is on him and the fact that he did something that he shouldn't have done. But then Paul brings it back in. And then now let's look at only verse 6, 23 verse 6. After he says this, when Paul realized that one part of them were Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees, he cried out to the Sanhedrin, brothers, listen, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees, and I am being judged because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. I am being judged because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Now, those two parties, guys, those two religious parties, very much like, you know, political parties that they have their things that they kind of like don't see eye to eye on. Those two had that. The Sanhedrin were people, they, they believed they were really the ruling class. They didn't believe there was an afterlife. But the Pharisees, they did. They believed there was one. And so Paul, understanding the context he says, Let, I am being judged because of the hope that I have in what? What did he say? In the resurrection of the dead. And so this was a hotly debated, contested thing between them. Paul did the same thing with the Epicureans and the other guys in Athens. When he sees, he knows, he knows the crowd. He knows who he's talking about. And so he makes sure that he lands that, that dart on the bullseye. And if I'm going to talk about Jesus, and I'm talk, this is where it's going to land. Because the Pharisees believed the resurrection of the dead, but the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead by their good behavior. But the Sadducees did it. They believed in God and his power and stuff, but they didn't believe that there was an after. So he wanted to say, guys, there is hope. And it's not in our actions. And it is not in our understanding. The hope that we have is in the resurrection of the dead. Well, why did he say that? Because at that moment, you can read the rest, all hell breaks, breaks loose, literally. Now they start arguing. It looks very much like a political debate now. They're all yelling at each other. And at one point, they, they're going about to pull um, Paul apart. The commander shuts it down, grabs him, takes him off. And he's like, all right, you guys are done. Nah, this, is, this is ridiculous. But the thing is that I don't want you to lose sight of how Paul didn't lose sight. His hope. Always, it's his hoping the resurrection always is what helped him to focus on what mattered most. And he always contextualized it. Because, see, Paul tells the Corinthians in one of his first letters that he writes, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Guys, without the resurrection of Jesus, we have nothing. If it's not for the, we are not here pushing a new religion. We're not here trying to push this or talk about that or immortalize this great man who once lived and now was crucified. No, without the resurrection, we have nothing and we've wasted our time and will continue to waste our time and our lives. Without the resurrection, we have nothing. And it says here, he's actually talking to people who were within about 10 years or so, 15, you know, maybe about 10 or so years, maybe 15 years. Since the resurrection. So there were people that he's writing to that were alive. And there was moments in which people were alive still when that happened. And so guys, this, he anchors that right there in the sense of, guys, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is nothing. Our faith is nothing. Our everything that we're doing now is nothing if it wasn't for the fact that he rose from the dead. And that is, the, that is what we anchor our lives on. We don't put our anchor, and I say, I say this a lot, our faith, and let me help you all right now. Your Christian faith, if you have a Christian faith, it cannot be on what was written. Our faith is not on what was written. Our faith is on who was risen. That's what it is. Now, because Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus validates what was written. Do you see now? You see what I'm saying? Before some of y'all try to cancel me two seconds ago, I needed to say that. Y'all needed to hang in there. Some of y'all judged me too quick. All right? Some of y'all were judging me too quick. I already saw it. It was rolling. It was coming up inside. All right? Listen, our faith is rooted on who was risen. And it's because Jesus was risen that we can trust in what was written. 
That's what, that's, that's the anchor. That's what we do. That's what Paul was saying. And so it's, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not surprised that what does Paul lead off with? What is his lead off approach? The hope that we have in the resurrection of the dead because that's all that we have. This is why Paul always would say, he had one message he preached. He did it a little differently, and I try to do the same thing. I preach, you know, different topics every single day or different focuses every single Sunday, but we always land on the same anchor, don't we? Jesus died, and your faith is in the fact that he was crucified and he rose from the dead. And that's what makes all of this matter. He makes all of this matter. And so the hope that we have in the resurrection, the resurrection is important, and also that hope. Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, always be ready to give a reason for the Hope that you have. Guys, you and I, this is, this is a beautiful thing. I know like I like to, I like to um, kind of be your biblical tour guide through a lot of these things. Hey, let's look at this word and let's turn over this rock and let's go down this, this trail of a sentence and whatnot. Because again, God's word still speaks and I want you to see that. I don't want to just give you one thing and then just give you all of, uh, all of me. Everything, I, everything that I want to say isn't here because I want to teach you guys how to read. I want to teach you guys how to be able to focus. So when you go home, you're doing a lot of the same thing. So that's just my angle. That's just my approach of what I do here. But the old also, here's the good news, guys, is that you don't have to. You don't have to understand everything or give a reason for everything in order to believe or enjoy your relationship with God. It's growing, but you can spend a million lifetimes and you would barely scratch the surface of knowing who God is, even just with this. And so Paul says, and this is Peter, and Peter was there, and Peter saw things. Peter says, listen, guys, you weren't there like the way I was, but there's even things I can't answer. In one of his letters, this is Peter, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Peter actually talks about Paul. In one of his letters, I always forget which one, I think it's 2 Peter, but first, Second Peter, you go hunting for it, you'll find it, but it's there. He says, guys, I know that there's some things that brother Paul has written, and it can be pretty confusing, so good luck with some of those. But, and I'm like, I love that, the, the, the honesty of Peter. Peter's like, listen, Paul sometimes makes my head hurt. I don't even, I don't even understand what Paul is saying sometimes. I love that because it, isn't that us? I was like, oh, that's cool. All right, I'm not the only one. But again, Peter would just anchor on and say, listen, it's not about you explaining. Oh, you know, explain to me how, how the, you know, the water, Moses split the water into. Explain to me how about the flood. Explain to me about creation. Explain to me about, listen, bro, all I can tell you from what I know is that I know that Jesus wrote, died and rose from the dead. Why? Because my life has been forever changed ever since I met him and know him. See, guys, your only thing that you're supposed to give is why do you believe? That's the, the one answer. There's a lot of answers that you may not know. But the one, the one answer for your faith should be, why do you believe, bro? I got mine. And I'm sorry, you can't use mine. You can't copy my answers. I got my own. You got to have your own. Why do you believe? And so, I, I, again, look at that. He, he brings focuses back on what? The hope that we have. There's the anchor. And then uh, everything goes nuts. Guys, uh, there's no revival here. None. There's no revival. It's a big mess. It's chaos. Now he's arrested. He's taken off to the side. They got to figure out what to do with him because, bro, like, who is this guy? Everyone's going insane. And so they keep him on kind of like a, uh, you know, a little situation over there. And I, I just, I wonder what Paul was thinking of. You know, I mean, he had a moment to testify before the Sanhedrin. He hadn't been given. He, this was his moment. He, I wonder what he was thinking. We just don't know. And this is another thing, guys, because if what's in the Bible, if, if it's not written, it's because you don't need to focus on it. But then there's something that happens next that kind of speaks into this. And so he had a, a golden opportunity. I get to te testify to the truth of God in front of the key leaders of the nation, my people. The pe I was deceived just like them. And before he can get his preamble out, he was taken out. And no chance, no salvations, no revival, no one listened. He's all sitting alone. And then, well, he's not alone for too long. Because let's read verse chapter 23. Can we put verse 11 up and check this out? The following night, since the night that everything went crazy, it says the following night. Who showed up? Who showed up, guys? It says the Lord. This is Jesus. The following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said to him, Have courage. For as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, 
So it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. And guys, at the end of that, this uh, Paul's encounter with Jesus was followed by a bunch of providential actions. It was pretty cool. At the end of that, uh, 40 people commit a, a suicidal pact to kill Paul. And they tell the Sanhedrin guys, they say, hey, call him up. Say you're going to investigate him. We're hiding in the bushes. We're going to come out and we're going to kill him. All right. And we'll, we'll meet us on the road. And these 40 people chose not to eat or drink until it happened. So it's a suicidal pact. Well, apparently Paul's nephew found out and Paul's nephew told the commander, told Paul, who then you, you, we have Luke documents an ancient letter written by the commander to Felix, the governor. And Luke includes this ain't, I don't know how Luke got this document, but that is an ancient document that he's quoting in here. And so Paul, the next day, he's going to be taken out under extreme military um, escort all the way into this new place to meet with Felix. And that's where we're going to pick up the story uh, next time. All right. But what, now, right now, let's just rewind and pause. This has happened again. In the, it was in the right moment at the right time. Paul hears the Lord and he gives them a what? A word of encouragement. And guys, where was Jesus? Where does Luke position Jesus in relation to Paul? He doesn't put him face to face, right? Do we see the Lord face to face with Paul? We don't see that. You know, could you imagine like here's Paul. He had an opportunity to testify to who? Again, the most influential people. If you could get the, these are the teachers of the law. These are the people who knew the word more than anyone else. If, if he could, if revival could have happened in the Sanhedrin, it would have happened in the nation. Maybe you think, I don't think so. Because if not, it would have happened. But here he is sitting there. Did I, did I say it wrong? Was my focus wrong? What I love is Jesus's words, I think, speak into that. He says, as you testify to me in Jerusalem, you must. So there's no rebuke there. It's almost like he gave an honest testimony. Paul, what did Paul say in two sentences? What did he say in two sentences? I have lived my life in good conscience before the Lord because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. In two sentences, he testified faithfully to the Lord. Because it was his heart intent. And this is why I love to always say, guys, when you want to share your faith, success is the fact that you spoke. The success is in your sowing. It is not in someone else's reaction. All right? Now, God, you trust in God for that. But I, I just love that little image. And the fact that he's not face-to-face -face and we're seeing his words, it's not words of like, oh, Paul, I set you up, bro. I, it was your moment. You failed. This is not like a dad sitting down in front of the parents. Well, I mean, sitting in front, in front of the kids on the couch like saying, buddy, you had a shot. What happened? No. Where is Jesus? Where did he stand next to him? Guys, when somebody, tell me right now, tell me, tell me we've all had moments that we can probably, maybe too many that we can think of, when somebody just stood next to you at the right moment, didn't even say anything, but just put their arm around you, and that was enough. By you, by somebody just, just sitting there soaking alone, who knows, but when somebody comes and stands next to you, what is that? What are you telling them? I'm here. When you stand next to somebody, isn't that a symbol of support? And so where is Jesus? Everyone's abandoned him. Where is, where is the, the church silent? Luke is silent about the church. Where's the church? Where's James? We don't know. Where are the elders? We don't know. Where, where are these people that he was trying to befriend and to show? Where? They're all gone. He is all alone. Well, that he thought. And there was Jesus standing. I'm still with you. I am by your side. I have never left. I am right here. And I love even those words. What does he say? All right. Hey, you checked off the box. You testified in Jerusalem. It's time to go to Rome. And then there's a lot of providential events that is going to lead him there, which is really, really cool. But again, guys, what I love about that, not, not only did he stand next to him, but he spoke a word of encouragement. And again, guys, this is the thing where it's so important for not only for you to have a healthy, regular relationship with God's word, it is important for you to have healthy relationships with other people who do likewise. So in those times, in those moments when you don't know what to say and you don't know what to think, you have somebody come alongside of you and say, and they can speak God's word into your life. 
They can point you and to keep you focused on what matters. Guys, we all need those in our lives. We can't live this life alone. And so he gives them that word of encouragement. And there it is, guys. Again, God's, not only did God spoke in there, but again, God's word, what did I say? His spoken word still what? His spoken word still speaks. And those words of encouragement, like if you needed, you know, like, well, I need Jesus to talk to me and tell me something. Well, this spoken word for Paul still speaks to us because in the same way that Jesus was there with him, Christ is there with us. He's the same thing. And we have his word. Paul didn't have what we have. He didn't actually. I mean, he was in the middle of writing it, but it was just different. And so we have the same things. And what I love about this is that in this moment, here is Jesus. When, when maybe Paul's wind, and, and this happens a couple of times now. In, this happened in Corinth. Well, we, uh, not in Corinth. This happened in a different place. We talked about this. Where he was, Paul, you know, Jesus comes over to Paul and says, don't be afraid because he was afraid of dying. And he was like, oh, this is the end. He was like, no, it's not. It's still going. And so maybe he was wondering. I was like, well, God told me I'm supposed to go to Rome. That was the prophetic word. God told me I'm supposed to go to Rome. And here I am stuck in, in Jerusalem. And they're, they're about to kill me. I don't even know if I'm going to make it out of here alive. And, and every time Jesus shows up at the right moment, at the right time, saying the right thing. And like saying, nah, man, plan's still good. Let's keep going. I love that. And, in, and so, guys, that's an encouraging word. That is a spoken word that still speaks to us today. Because here's the thing. It doesn't matter the circumstance. For Paul, the circumstance didn't look ideal. It didn't look good. How is this going to work out? And pretty much God, Jesus comes up and says, hey, listen, it's going to work out. And so, guys, that's the same maybe for you. If you don't know, Yo, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this bag. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do that. You know, the point is maybe you don't know, but you put your trust in the one who does. That's Jesus. And so it matters. And so, guys, in the same way that it did for Paul, this, this matters to us. God's word gives us life, right? His spoken word still speaks. Why? Because he still lives. And God's word, in the same way it encouraged him, right? He says, have courage. Guys, God's words are meant to encourage us in the same way in our moments in life. And why do these words give us life? Because the one who speaks lives. Jesus still lives. He lives. And that's why these words, guys, are different. This is unlike. Guys, you cannot read this book like you read other books. Because there is no other book like this book. You can't read it like you do other books. It's different. There is no other book like this because there is no other author like the one who inspired it. And so it's different. You got to approach it differently. And so the thing, guys, is that I wanted to kind of focus on is look, look at those three moments, right? He lived in good conscience. Why? Because his hope was not in his good efforts. His hope was not in his ability to do and figure. Paul lived in good conscience because he had his hope in Christ in what he did, in what he did. That's where his hope was. And guys, it's the same for us. And I want us to be encouraged as well. That listen, we can be encouraged knowing that our hope of the resurrection of the dead cannot be reversed. And that's why the hope of the resurrection is so important, guys. The hope that we have in the resurrection is rooted in the fact that Jesus' resurrection cannot be reversed. Unlike Paul, who had 40 guys who had a suicidal pact that were going to try to figure out, how are we going to kill this guy? How are we going to kill this guy? Listen, the demons haven't been strategizing for 2,000 years. I'm like saying, okay, how, how are we going to kill Jesus? How are, we going to, how, how are we going to do this? Like, yeah, he rose from the dead, so how are we going to get him this time? How are we going to get him? How are we going to get him now? They have not been attempting and failing for 2,000 years and thinking that they're going to figure it out one day. Listen, guys, Jesus has risen never to die again. His victory for us is that secure. All right, and especially, and it works for us too. When you are born again, when you're born, you can't be unborn. I mean, you can be unalived. That's a, that's a word, by the way. I don't know if you know that. You can be unalived, but you can't be unborn. That's two different things. And in the same way, guys, that when you are born again, we can't be unborn. The enemy cannot, and darkness cannot reverse what God has done in you. And that's why the hope that we have, that's why there's hope. In the resurrection of the dead, that it cannot be reversed. Despite, again, here's Paul. By the way, did you notice almost two things that Paul messed up on? First off, he did mess up on that. Uh, he broke the law, didn't he? He broke the law. He spoke ill of the high priest. And you can give excuses because it was an informal meeting. Maybe Ananias wasn't in his priestly robe. You know, Paul actually started dealing with some eyesight issues. You know, he needed you, actually. And so Paul had eyesight issues. He did. And so maybe he was a little, maybe he was a little farsighted, nearsighted, and he couldn't, he looked a little blurry. He was like, oh, that's, 
Oh, that's a high priest. I'm sorry. We don't know. We don't know what the reason is, but did he break the law? Yes. And if you break the law, it doesn't matter if you knew what you were doing. I've gotten two speeding tickets because I broke, I was speeding and I didn't know I was speeding. I literally, honestly, to God, okay? On God, I, I, I didn't know. I literally didn't know. And so, but just because I didn't know what I was doing, I still had to pay a penalty. Paul didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know that was a, the high priest and he broke the law. So we don't see God in front of him saying, bro, you knew that verse, didn't you? Come on now. You can do better. You can do better. You can do better. No, you don't see that. And at the other time, here he is giving a testimony, and no one believes. No one believes. But see, that's why our hope as Christians, guys, no matter the storm in life or even our imperfections, things don't go our way. We can be happy and joyful because we're hopeful. Because it is all rooted in the resurrection. Because the floor is now our new ceiling. Because before, guys, if you imagine this is a ceiling of holiness. And you're living your life. And, you know, imagine uh, I grew up in the 80s. And so I'm from the 80s, too, if you missed the beginning intro. Um, I, played the original, I played the original Mario game. Anybody play the original Mario game? It's this, you know, you, all the old classic games were, you know, linear, right? And you just travel this way. And so here's the uh, uh, ceiling of holiness. And here we are trying to live our life in a way to become and to save ourselves. But it doesn't matter how hard we jump. It doesn't matter if we get the leaf to fly. It doesn't matter if we get the beanstalk. Okay, none of those little things can reach all of the way to be holy. This is where Paul tells in Romans that we've all fallen horribly short. We've all fallen short to the kingdom of God. But what Jesus did on the cross was he broke through the ceiling. He broke through the ceiling and said, there is another world up here. There is another way. And when those who put their trust and confidence in Jesus, he transposes them, translates them to this new level. And now what used to be a ceiling that kept us from God because of our imperfections, the ceiling is now the floor. And now as we live our life, check it out, guys. Now as we live our life and we have good days and bad days, we do good and we sin. And, and you know, we, we do things without meaning to. But now every time... The ceiling is now the floor. The holiness of God holds us. It doesn't fail. We don't fail. The holiness of God holds us. And until the very end, until we are together forever with him. See, this is why the hope that we have matters, guys, because it wouldn't be hope if it's like, I'm good, let me just not screw it up, and oh my God, like shoots and ladders, right? You ever played shoots and ladders, that old school game, right? You could be winning, and you land on the right, uh, all the way to the bottom, right? We don't play that life in the Christian life where we're like, I'm doing good, doing good, and oh no, what's going down? And then uh, you slide all the way back, back to this other, no, because the floor, the ceiling is now the floor, and that is the love of God, and when he looks at you, he doesn't look at those things, but he he sees Christ's perfection in you. And that is the hope that we have that's in Christ. And so to quote Jay-Z and to remix Jay-Z, I got 99 problems, but Romans ain't one. Okay? It's a really bad joke. There's your other third joke for the day. I got 99 problems, but Romans ain't one. You guys know what Romans 8-1 means? Let's put Romans 8-1 on the board. Let's see it. Can we put Romans 8-1 up? And it says, do we have it? All right, cool. It says here, therefore, there is, say this word online, type it, everybody read it with me. There is what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ. So back up. So you see what I'm saying? I got 99 problems, but Romans ain't one. And the, no, knowing that, man, I may sin and I may have my issues and this and that, but there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Meaning I can even fall, but when God corrects me, it's just to help me to grow. But no condemnation is, I am still forgiven. I am still loved. The blood of Jesus is not going to let one slip go through. That's what that is. But guys, this gets better because if you read the rest of Romans 8, he says, not only is there no condemnation, but there is no obligation to have to follow all of these rules because there is no condemnation. There's no obligation to live on eggshells. Am I doing everything right? Am I saying every prayer the way I need to? What happens if this? What happens if that? Right? And, and so, no, we, because now our actions don't change our character. My kids are over there. They, it doesn't matter what they do. I don't care why, you know, like the mistake that they make, they will always be my sons. They're still my kids. Doesn't matter what they do with their lives, they will always be my sons. And when you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how many times you're hitting the ceiling, you're hitting the floor, you're still his son and daughter. 
if you have been forgiven and you put your trust in him. So not only that there's no condemnation because there's no obligation, and that's why he ends Romans 8, there is no separation for nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not one of your actions, faults, failures, when you put your trust and confidence in Jesus. Do you see how, why this hope matters so much? You see what this hope ought to do? Guys, imagine if we really believe that even more. Tell me right now, would your faith walk or would your attitude be different if you really believed what I just said? Do you believe that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus or do you live in condemn? Do you live with this perpetual cloud over your head that God's not putting on there? I don't even think it's even there. I think the enemy wants you to believe that there's one. Because you're, you, oh, I can't see. It's because your eyes are closed. Bro, open your eyes. Oh, there's nothing there. Deceived. There is nothing. Imagine, guys, if you truly believed, nothing can separate you. Nothing can separate you from his love. If you really believe that. How would that change? It would change the way that we would live. Wouldn't we have, like what Jesus tells Paul, wouldn't we have more courage? Wouldn't we have more confidence to live if we really believe that the blood of Jesus in his, that relationship, it can't be reversed, and there is no separation, condemnation, obligation in Christ Jesus? Wouldn't we? It, I, it should. And it should go ongoing. And that should be ongoing. And that's how we have courage to know the hope that we have. The hope that we have is how we have courage. And the hope, when Jesus says, it gets translated differently. So maybe you guys online, you guys maybe have different translations. But when Jesus said, have courage, sometimes it's translated as, um, be confident. Same thing. Sometimes it's this one. This one's a good phrase. Be of good cheer. That's like, what does that mean? Right? Be of good cheer just means cheer up. Right? And so what is Paul, what is Paul, what is the word that he needs to hear? Jesus comes up to Paul, puts his arm around him pretty much and says, Paul, cheer up. You testified well in Jerusalem. It's time to go to Rome. Cheer up. Guys, that is a word that we have every single time to know. That God's word is how we, what? Cheer up. Have confidence. Despite the circumstance, despite anything, despite maybe struggles or whatnot, we can be confident. And man, I, I love this. And I, this, I, I do this to teach you to do the same thing. I start asking myself, when else does Jesus say, be confident? When else does he say, because a lot of the stuff, I mean, you can find Google, uh, you know, YouTube video after YouTube video, how to be self-confident, how to grow in your confidence level, this and that. You can do all this stuff. There's one thing that says your posture. If you, if you actually stand up and you, and you walk with a good posture, you, you feel more confident because you're walking more confidently. And so you're supposed to do that. All right. That's all cool. That's cute. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But what kind of confidence level is this? It's different. Four times Jesus says, four times Jesus says, there it is. Y'all caught it. Four times Jesus said, be confident, have courage. Matthew 9, 2, he tells, um, this is when they, they bring this para, paraplegic man through the roof. And he, he doesn't know how to walk. He can't walk. His body's not functioning. And Jesus tells him, be of good courage. He says, be, have courage. Your sins are forgiven. And not only your sins are forgiven, get up and walk. All right? That was the first time Jesus said it. Second time was in Matthew 14, 27. When there's a storm going on on the outside. And literally the apostles think that they're about to die. And Jesus is walking on water. And I'm like, oh, it's a, it's a ghost. And Jesus is like, oh, be of good courage. Have courage. Be of good cheer. It's me. It's just me. I'm here. I know I'm here. It's me. The third time, John 16, 33. Jesus tells he says, listen, guys, I'm going to promise you right now, for every believer in Jesus Christ, I'm not going to paint a picture of roses and sunshine and flowers. There's going to be conflict for every believer. The more you want to follow Christ, the more conflict you're going to invite. And he says, but I don't tell you this so you can be, you know, I actually tell you this to have peace, to know that despite all of these things, I have overcome the world in the past tense. Jesus is like Babe Ruth calling his shot, like saying, I'm going to hit a home run. All right? So what he's doing, I've overcome it. What he had set in motion was not going to be undone. So have courage. I know the circumstance will look weird and it won't look like it's going to work out. But trust me, I have overcome the world. It's going to go down. And the fourth time Jesus says, be of good courage, Acts 23, 11, when he says, have courage. You testified, you, you accomplished mission A, you, know, you did this one, 
It's time for what's next. And it's time to testify. That was the last time Jesus said, be a good courage, testify. And guys, that's the reason why you and I have a reason. We have testimonies because of the hope that we have in Jesus. We have testimonies because of what he's done. And if you don't know what else to do, you can have courage in those, four, in those three things that Jesus says. We guys can have courage and be confident. We can cheer up knowing despite everything that is going on, we should always have, be hopeful and joyful to know that our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. And Jesus has restored me to new life in the same way he restored that paraplegic's body so he could walk and live. He gave him a second chance of life. Guys, you and I ought to be hopeful and joyful knowing and have courage and confidence to know, listen, I don't know a lot, but I know God has forgiven me and he's given me new life. And then you may have a storm going on and this may be the end of it and this and that, but you can have courage and confidence to know that even in the storm, my Lord is there. And though I may not see it, my my man can walk on water at that. And we can have confidence in Christ, in his ability, in who he is, that he is here, and he is Lord over all. And we can have confidence as well, knowing, guys, that even when you feel overwhelmed, you can have confidence to know that Jesus has overcome. And because he has forgiven us, because he is here with us, and because he has overcome the world for us, we ought to be hopeful and testify to that hope. The last one there. Hopeful and testify to the hope that we have. And so my, my encouragement to you guys is that, listen, I want you to, I want every single one of you, online, I'm talking to you too. I want you to walk away being encouraged today. Being encouraged by the same word. Look at who God is and what he's done. This courage, this courage and encouragement is not coming from anywhere else. It cannot be achieved. What did I say earlier today? It can only be received. And I love even the phrase that Jesus said. What did he say? Have courage. Here's Jesus trying to encourage Paul. But you know what? Paul, he, the only way that he can be encouraged is for him to say, no, thank you. Because what is Jesus doing? Have courage. Have courage. Guys, that's what every time when we look at this word, when we open up his word, when we look to pray, and when we look to him, he's always saying here, I Life that you need, I have it. The hope that you need, I have it. And so here. But what do we have to do, guys? What Paul did, what do we have to do? We have to receive it by faith. Same thing. You can't achieve it. That kind of confidence, you can only receive it. And I love even those four instances. Despite the circumstance, despite everything, even despite your own stuff and your own personal limitations, We can be confident to know that we are forgiven, that God is faithful, and that he has overcome the world for us. And we can testify to whatever's next in our life, whatever's next that God can lead us to, whatever person is next, whatever circumstance is next, our Lord will be faithful through it all. And so the first thing for any of you guys to have courage is you got to first turn. You got to turn to Christ. And that starts with some of you And that means online as well, whoever hears this, you can't have courage if you don't have Christ. And the only way to have Christ is to turn from your sins towards him. It's the only thing. And this courage is a living hope. And you can't separate this courage and confidence from Christ because it is him. He is what gives us that confidence. He is what gives us that ability. It is Christ that gives us that life. Our hope is in him. In who he is. And so you can't have him without, you can't divorce the two. So what do you do? you got to turn from your sin and towards a Savior. And as simple as that is just believing in Christ Jesus. Recognizing you're this paraplegic man that Jesus said, be of good courage, your sins are forgiven. They used to think that if you were in that condition, then you or your mama or your daddy must have sinned and you're paying for it. But Jesus says, no, cheer up, buddy. Not only am I going to fix your feet, but I'm going to give you life. I'm going to heal your heart. And guys, it doesn't matter what you've done, what we've become. It doesn't matter if you've lived for God and then turned away for two decades. Is God going to still love me? Oh, he just never stopped. You maybe thought he did, but he didn't. He never stopped loving you. And so always we turn to, we turn away from our sin, turn to Christ. But then there is one more thing left, guys. Because if all you do is turn away from your sin and turn to Christ so you can feel better about yourself and then you keep it to yourself, you see the problem already? Even the way I said it? 
Who do you really care about? Yourself. That's not confidence. That's not confidence. That's false hope. That's a false level of confidence. If you have turned away from your sin and turned to Christ, the next thing to do is to then turn to those without. And you point to your source, to the hope that you have. It's like, my, I test. Now it's your turn to turn and testify to the fact that God has forgiven me. The fact that God is with me. And my faith and hope is in the fact that he overcame the world for me because I couldn't. And he is going to see me all the way through until the end. That is where my hope is. And guys, if you have hope, then that means you have a testimony to share. You have a story to tell. And, and you should. And you should. We have so much, guys, to be able to do. Our hope is rooted in that. In telling others and testifying to others so that they can trust in Christ and find the same hope that you had for your life, that they can find it too. Guys, we have reason to testify. You may have a lot of reasons to complain. And I'm going to end with this right here. I know we all got reasons to complain about everybody and everything, right? I mean, if, if you had something like your back hurt, right? Don't you always talking about your back? Oh, my back hurts today, right? You know, always. If it's your back, if it's your foot, if it's your this, you're like, oh man, it really hurts today. You never talk about your back when it doesn't hurt though right? It's always when it does, right? You and I always, we have a thousand and one reasons, guys, why to be this and why to be negative and why that and what. We have a thousand and one reasons. But like the one song, there's a, Matt Redman has that song. It says, uh, hey, we got 10,000 reasons plus to worship God and to praise his name. We have 10,000 reasons. And if you had none, I gave you three. He's for, he has made it possible for us to be forgiven, that he will be with us in the middle of the storm, no, and give us confidence as he's overcome the world and he will, see until, he will see it through until the end. There is four. And so guys, I wanna, now Christ is saying, be encouraged today, cheer up. Receive my word, which is to receive me. But now that is on you to respond. What kept Paul anchored in his faith and in his life is the same thing that is to anchor our faith and our life. It's the courage, confidence, hope, and joy that we have in the truth of a resurrected king. That is what knowing Jesus and continually knowing Jesus should do. It just establishes our roots, our foundation even more. And the, the better and healthier our roots, the more wonderful and powerful the fruits of God will be produced in our lives. That's what we're going to see in the book of Acts as we continue to look at Paul. And listen, same thing happens with us. The more we are anchoring our hope, despite the hurt, despite our misconceptions and failures, assumptions, mistakes, all of those things, our Lord is faithful. He said he will never leave our side. And I pray that you may be encouraged and hopeful and joyful to know we have a God who has forgiven us, who will be with us because he has overcome the world for us. Now it's up to us to testify to that truth, like I said, so that others may encounter that same transformational life so that they too can receive the hope and joy that's in Christ and so that they could also reflect it to others.